Australian Olympic Committee President John Coates. Welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. While distant from most points in the world, Australia is a big player in the world of sport and the Olympics. Next week, the land down under will be in the spotlight when it hosts the annual Sport Accord Convention for the first time. The five-day meeting takes place in Gold Coast in Queensland. It will draw leaders of international sports federations as well as IOC President Thomas Bach. He will be arriving first in Sydney to go to the annual general meeting of the Australian Olympic Committee on May 4th. The visit of the IOC chief will likely produce plenty of questions about the desire of Australia to bid once again for a Summer Olympics. Brisbane, the Gold Coast, and other venues in tropical Queensland are earmarked to make the Aussie bid. For the past 30 years, John Coates has been a driving force behind the growth and influence of Australia. Serving since 1990 as president of the Australian Olympic Committee, in the 1990s he was a leader in the organizing committee for the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Then a year later he became an IOC member and he has since played a significant role as a member of Olympic coordination commissions and in particular Tokyo 2020. Just over a year away, he is chairman of that group and uh, a very important figure in modern-day Tokyo. He's also president of the Court of Arbitration for Sport and chair of the IOC Legal Affairs Committee. Time to bring in the lawyers, I guess. Welcome to Around the Rings Radio, John Coates. My pleasure, Ed. Uh, Let's start with the visit of uh, IOC President Thomas Bach this week. Kind of a historic day, you say. It's the first time... An IOC president has attended one of the AGMs of, uh, of uh, the AOC? Yeah, historic. We've not had an IOC president attend an annual meeting before. Um, Thomas Bach came via Sydney when he was doing a trip to New Zealand and some of the Pacific Islands uh, a few years ago, but this is, as you say, the first visit by an IOC president. To one of our Anything you expect him to talk about? Uh, any message he'll be delivering? Oh, I'm expecting that uh, he will talk about the recent Athletes Forum. I think that he'll take the opportunity to talk the changes um, under Olympic Agenda 2020 to the way of bidding, um, what he's hoping for with uh, future changes to make it even more uh, easy and feasible and sustainable. Um, I think that um, I'm making a strong um, position statement or I'm presenting what we might call a, a state of the Australian in, um, of the Olympics in Australia with a very big emphasis on autonomy and independence and identifying the threats that we've had to um, autonomy and independence over our history and I would expect that um, he would respond again, on the importance of uh, maintaining autonomy, one of his favourite subjects. So uh, I will be uh, identifying and uh, reminding everyone of the the major threat we had, of course, in 1980, and the fact that, um, in the end, the vote was 6-5 by the then Australian executive to go to Moscow. Uh, And then in recent times, there's certainly been some uh, threats to our independence and autonomy by the Australian Sports Commission <clears throat> um, wanting to have a role in the appointment of our chef de missions, wanting to engage in joint funding programs with us, um, 
the most recent uh, suggestion was that um, we should present members on a combined athlete commission of theirs, appointed, not elected like ours. Um, so there's been a whole range of um, threats. I think at the heart of them in recent times has been the fact that the Australian Olympic Committee is uh, now very financially secure and fortunately we do not. Uh, we neither request nor receive any Australian government funding and that's been the case uh, since Sydney was selected in, or elected in 1993. So we've got assets now of $160 million. Um, We've grown that from $109 million in 2001 and that's after distributions of $120 million uh, to the Australian Olympic Committee. So the foundation sits separately. Uh, it's delivered a return of 8% per annum during that period. And I think we, um, we're the envy of uh, many in our season. We're certainly uh, the envy of the Australian Sports Commission that has certainly shown in the past they'd like to get their hands on that money. In, in a couple of weeks, there will be federal elections in Australia. Does the AOC and sport have any, any kind of dog in that hunt there, as we sometimes say, uh, any issues in the federal election of concern to the AOC? Yeah, as I said, the AOC doesn't seek funding, but we think that our national federations and our athletes have been left behind in the um, uh, competitive world of international sport in recent times. This is funding for elite sport? Uh, funding for both elite sport and participation and pathways. The Australian Olympic Committee um, has a very big role in community sport. We take Olympians into schools across the country under a new program we've got called Olympics Unleashed. And um, we recognise the importance uh, of spreading the value of Olympism through our athletes in schools across Australia. So we think equally participation should be funded along with high performance. Now, one of the questions that will come up with the IOC president in Australia is the notion of a 2032 Summer Olympics in Australia. A lot has been done to prepare the case for Queensland making a bid. Uh, what is the thinking right now about 2032? We took the view very a few years ago that with the IOC now looking at holding the Games in July and August, uh, Brisbane and South East Queensland, Queensland is really the, the only regional city that could host the Games. Um, when Melbourne hosted the Games, it was November, December in 56. When Sydney had it, it was September, October. Uh, the earlier months um, just doesn't work climatically and doesn't work uh, with um, competing football uh, in both states. Um, we think there's a compelling case for Queensland, um, and so we encouraged them, and they have uh, taken up the challenge <coughs> through the... Uh, the Brisbane City Council, the largest council, and six of the surrounding um, councils of South East Queensland, and they have commissioned over the last few years both a transport study and a feasibility study into the Games. Um, and the, the feasibility is some 540 pages, and um, it was presented to the AOC and to the Queensland Government uh, about a month ago, um, and it's uh, ready to go to the next stage. It shows um, compelling arguments for being able to host the Games at no cost. 
the um, the games will pay for themselves here. Uh, they will they can be accommodated with existing venues and planned venues and upgrades of venues, uh, but they um, they can only happen and only be, it's only feasible if there is a significant amount of money spent on infrastructure, infrastructure between the three uh, major cities in southeast Queensland, that's the Sunshine Coast to the north, then Brisbane, and then you move through the other six uh, cities or five cities down to the Gold Coast, which, as you know, held the Commonwealth, held the Commonwealth Games uh, last year. So, but the uh, Brisbane and Queensland government's own surveys show that it's only um, the, the, the transport infrastructure, including rail, has to be significantly improved for the benefit of the people, for the, um, the quality of life that they have, uh, to enable people to get from home to work or study within 30 minutes, faster rail, uh, if particularly the, uh, the route between Queen, Brisbane and the Gold Coast, um, if they don't address improving that, then it could well be a car park by uh, 2030 uh, in their own uh, studies. So they understand that being games-driven, um, I think the games is an opportunity for them to accelerate the improved infrastructure there and to argue with the Australian government that um, this has to be done anyway and uh, can we bring it forward? That's the uh, improved infrastructure. So I think there's a compelling case but only if the infrastructure is fixed. Right, and some money's got to be spent three or four, five years to go before that bid would become a reality. You've seen dr dramatic change in how cities bid for the Olympics since you were involved with the early bids from Sydney and from Melbourne for uh, games in the 1990s and 2000. How is this change in the way cities bid for the games affecting the next Australia bid, for example? Well, I think, well, I know that it's welcomed by the uh, the cities of southeast Queensland. They have studied Agenda 2020 and the changes, uh, how we've got now the dialogue phase and then the candidature phase. Um, they welcome all of that. Um, they welcome it because it reduces the cost of bidding. Uh, they welcome it because of the flexibility that, uh, while not built into the Olympic Charter yet, but the flexibility that was shown when the dual allocation was made to Paris and Los Angeles, 24 and 28, and um, there could be further um, refinements in that regard coming up through this uh, latest working group that the President has appointed. But uh, the, it is easier uh, to bid. Um, the, there is an emphasis now on um, what the Games can do for the, uh, the people and the city and the um, improved improvement of their quality of life rather than uh, what the city and the people can do for the IOC and the Games. And I think that's welcome. And it's far clearer now the contribution that the IOC, um, courtesy of the broadcast and top sponsors, is able to make to a Games. And it's becoming far clearer that the Games pay for themselves. Uh, that will be the case with the operational costs in uh, Tokyo, uh, certainly in Los Angeles and um, Paris as well, um, won't be the case in terms of venues uh, in Tokyo. Tokyo was in need of um, new venues, 
upgraded venues, but um, very few venues are required in those next two cities. And the feasibility shows for Brisbane and the southeast Queensland that um, they can get pretty close to having all the venues by 2030. As a veteran of the, say, wild and woolly days of the way uh, Olympic bids used to be, would you say there's more integrity, more honesty, more transparency in how this all works? And I was the CEO of the first Brisbane bid in 1986. That was my first taste of this. Um, that was for the 92 games when we became third behind Barcelona and Paris, and that certainly taught me a lot. Um, and the, uh, as, as did the subsequent bids of Melbourne and Sydney. And I think that um, uh, by necessity, the bids and the process are far more transparent. And um, uh, let's just continue in, in that vein. As we're coming up to the 20th anniversary of the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, what kind of legacy did, did these games provide today? They provided uh, certainly um, a regeneration of an area um, which had been abattoirs and had been a dump uh, out at Homebush. Um, it's now a, um, a mini city. Uh, it's a lively place. It's a lively place. There's a lot of sporting infrastructure there, a lot of residential, a lot of uh, commercial buildings there. And it will. the final stage uh, will be in the next few years when they connect um, a metro line that will go through that from um, west of there, Parramatta, through the Sydney Olympic Park and through into the city, rather than the loop railway that's there at the moment. And that's probably the biggest inhibitor, but... Um, the funding wasn't there to do that previously, but it's, uh, it's a wonderful legacy there. Uh, similarly, other venues across Sydney, we, we had a paucity of venues leading into those games, uh, so we came out of the games uh, without any debt and with a great legacy of venues. But more importantly for me, it was a wonderful stimulus to sport in Australia. It was part of the progression that, um, of our Australian athletes and our, our different sports and federations um, to improve on the world stage. You know we um, came from four medals in Montreal in 1976 to 58 medals and third on the tally in Sydney. Now, uh, medal tallies is not something the Australian Olympic Committee um, pushes for these days, but they're inevitable when you're hosting a Games. And uh, for me, it was a wonderful stimulus. Uh, it didn't quite get the immediate um, economic upturn in terms of tourist numbers, uh, and benefits that are normally afforded to a Games because of 9-11 came along. And, um, but uh, nevertheless, the, uh, it is the fact that Olympic cities continue to attract conferences and conventions and exhibitions, and um, that's been the case. So there's been um, a steady benefit ever since, and uh, I think it's time that... Um, uh, we could do it again and it would, would uh, fit in very well with Queensland that um, when we bid with Queensland in 86, it only had a population of one million. Uh, since then, it's uh, three and a half times larger, um, grew 25% in the last 10 years. And um, at the moment, uh, that region, it's got a population of over three million, which is what Sydney was in 2000. And by once we get into the 2030s, 
uh, it'll be up around the five million in that region. So uh, I think it's an area that could certainly um, benefit um, not only for sport, but just in, in, as we said earlier, in infrastructure. You're listening to Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. We're talking with John Coates, president of the Australian Olympic Committee and a member of the International Olympic Committee. Coming up in the next week is the Sport Accord Convention being held for the first time in Australia. It will be in uh, Gold Coast in, in Queensland. Well, it was um, timely. Um, the uh, Certainly it was uh, good for the Gold Coast to also attract Sport Accord um, it was part of the program of international events and the following on from the Gold Coast from the Commonwealth Games. Um, it's an opportunity for uh, the Queensland Government and their events organisation to meet federations and uh, promote their venues for world championships. Um, we regularly have World Cups in triathlon, for example, and the World Championships were there last year. I know that uh, Sebastian Coe is... Uh, has been in discussion with the Queensland Government about a World um, Track and Field Championship. Um, Masters Games have been there. And uh, so these are good opportunities. And um, I think it's also good for uh, Australian sport uh, to expose itself and to learn from the uh, international federations and um, just what, and to un better understand what the issues in international sport are. So it's a good chance for our national federations um, to mix with uh, more closely as hosts with their international uh, colleagues. For the past six years, you've been going back and forth between Australia and Japan on a pretty regular basis, once or twice, maybe more a month. Five or, five or six times a year. As chairman of the IOC, Evaluation Commission. Uh, how's it going in Tokyo? Any concern right now with the Games just over a year away. You, you can't, you must always have concerns, and, um, but the chairing the Coordination Commission has uh, been an absolute pleasure for me, um, working with a uh, very, very supportive organising committee under former Prime Minister uh, Mori, uh, supportive uh, Tokyo Municipal Government under Governor Koiki, and um, the full support of Prime Minister Abe and the National Government the um, the relationships along the way have been outstanding, and um, uh, as I say, it's um, it's a bit of deja vu, deja vu in many ways. Just reminding me of things that we went through, and um, uh, it all comes back to me as, as one of those organisers for Sydney. Um, the the games uh, we're on track, I think you know, in terms of all the construction up there, the programs. Um, I don't think there was ever any great concerns there initially there were with the national stadium but um, once they decided to bring it back to a more um, sustainable size uh, that's going to be complete by the end of this year with the new design uh, and the rest of the years will be complete as required for the test events um, the um, the federations international federations are working well with them they're integrated into their organization um, and I'm in my sport of rowing uh, the competition director has now come out of FISA's office in Lausanne, uh, an experienced person there, and uh, the Tokyo 2020 folk are just encouraged and receptive to those sorts of uh, um, very close working relationships. The uh, the village uh, will be good, uh, will be excellent. The um, 
the biggest issue is the question of um, transport in the city. This is uh, a city of 32 million or 30 million people um, and uh, it's, while it does appear to have a good infra transport infrastructure, um, imposing a, uh, the requirements of um, athletes and all the uh, stakeholder groups that support them on a city uh, is a tremendous burden um, to normal transport arrangements. And by their own calculation, um, the, uh, the city and the planners there know that they have to reduce the traffic volume by about 15%. So some national holidays have moved, been moved into this period. A lot of uh, encouragement is being given to businesses and industry to take the, for workers to take their holidays during this period, uh, more work at home, um, early deliveries of um, into the cities, just as you know we do we do it in other cities. So the planning is there, but um, the success of a games uh, to me really starts with how quickly um, and effectively you can get the athletes from the Olympic Village to their venues, and that's the thing that I keep um, emphasising every visit I make there, and uh, will be emphasising um, during the test events and right up until the opening ceremony. The battle to cut costs has been an ongoing story in Tokyo. You've got billions from the original plans, the original budget plans for the games. Is it still happening? Or is, is cost cutting still underway, or are you pretty much reached an equi equilibrium? There, well, there's been um, $4.3 billion taken out principally through some large venues going to existing venues. Um, the Operating costs, um, savings have been made there, but on the other hand, we've had to take, uh, following last year's extreme heat, uh, we've had to introduce a lot of heat mitigation uh, measures and precautions that uh, are essential also. The marathon starting at 6 in the morning, for example. Yeah, sure. and um, But also more shade as spectators queue up for events, more water sprays, um, the new pavements uh, on the route of the marathon, which um, do not reflect heat as much. Uh, so it's not just as simple as shifting the time. We have to have um, better lounges for the athletes, more um, medical assistance available for spectators, all of those things. And so there's been extra budgetary um, measures, ex extra budget applied there. Um, but we're continuing to look at budget savings um, right through, will be right through to the games. Uh, one of the greatest savings, though, that's been made is just um, the Olympic Broadcasting Service. I think they've managed to reduce their footprint by 40%, um, the size of the building, the period that we need, uh, that uh, is needed for it to be leased, what was a convention area. Uh, we've reduced that significantly, so the rental periods come down. Um, a lot more of the um, the product will be compiled docu compiled out of Madrid, the headquarters there. You don't need to have as many people uh, from OBS based in Tokyo. So a lot of those savings, um, we're continuing to um, to see if they'll work. And um, uh, I'm hoping that uh, while the budget is at 5.6 billion, the operating budget now, we certainly. Uh, 
um, believe that there's potential to reduce that. And if there is, then um, uh, while none of that has been contributed by the Tokyo Municipal Government or the National Government, it's all coming, it's all games-related revenue, uh, hopefully there's some opportunity for uh, some, some surplus to go back to the Tokyo Municipal Government towards the venues that they've had to pay for. This is Around the Rings Radio. We're talking with IOC member and Australian Olympic Committee President John Coates. Test events are about going to full swing in Tokyo. Yeah. Anything different about these test events compared to the other games? How important are these test events? I mean, there's a lot of them. Oh, there's a lot of them. And the important thing, of course, is my, my experience in Sydney, is grouping them together to put, put yourself as an organizing committee under pressure. Um, in Tokyo, the, um, the, the rail and the bus transport tends to cease around midnight, I think, to encourage people to go home. Um, and then it uh, doesn't start. You can get stuck on the train at midnight. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's happened to me. <laughs> has it, yeah, well, uh, it would happen to me if I was doing it. The, um, the, also, they don't, you know, they don't go through the whole period through till 5.30 or something. Well, by bringing events forward in the morning, uh, we're having to make sure that um, the rail and bus connections to get the spectators to the venues and the media um, is also able to accommodate that. And certainly um, uh, with events with an Olympic program, um, uh, the later uh, the trains and buses will con- have to continue later. Uh, they've done a good job with um, mob- the way of mobilising taxis in the city. Uh, they're, they're monitoring them um, and uh, can, can work out where they're needed at any time. Uh, so, but anyway, all matters that have to be continued to be addressed, and we'll see how they work during the test events. Some new sports are coming to the Olympics in Tokyo. Surfing, skateboard, sport climbing, for example. Maybe breaking, breakdancing for Paris in 2020-24. These are kind of a, a jolt to maybe more traditional points of view about what Olympic sports are all about. But how do you think these new sports, surfing, skateboard, for example, oh, well, I was a big, yeah. are going to influence the ne- next generation of Olympic Games. Yeah, I was a big part of that and um, played a role in encouraging it because you know, we knew from Olympic Agenda 2020 that we had to better engage with the youth. Um, uh, the core of the Olympic Games will always be the traditional sports, but uh, in my country... A new skateboard park was going in every fortnight. Um, there's a lot of young people who are attracted to going and having, you know, getting on their, their balls in a park whenever they want to rather than committing all of Saturday to cricket or you know, to regimented sport. Um, still a place for all of those sports, but um, I think it was a, it's a good move. Um, it's, uh, they're wonderful athletes. And similarly, uh, the sport climbing um, and the freestyle uh, BMX, I think they'll be good. We've focused them in what we're calling an urban park in Tokyo. And I think um, while Tokyo doesn't have an Olympic park like Sydney or London had and other venues, um, that will become its Olympic park. And I think it'll become quite a legacy uh, for those sports and people to to practice those sports and to view them and being... 
I think that's going to go well. The, um, there's a massive population of surfers around the world, and so that's been very well received. You're expecting a few medals from Australia next year, maybe. Or Brazil or America, you know, and, and the French. You can't, you can't dominate <laughs> these things, Ed. Uh, but it, it's, it's amazing. Stephanie Gilmore and um, Mick Fanning and all of our um, legends of surfing, they are really taken by it. They want to be part of it. And um, I think that's wonderful. And um, there is, as I say, a massive population of surfers around the world and uh, to suddenly have them interested in the Olympics is uh, very good for us. In 2020, the Tokyo Olympics will be over. You'll be reaching the IOC retirement age of 70. <laughs> Who's counting? The following year, supposed to be your last as AOC president. What's, what about the Olympic world post-John Coates? You know, I'll finish as AOC president in um, our annual meeting in 2021. Um, I'm very pleased that um, I will have another term commencing um, in May, another four years as president of the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, they take more kindly in the, um, in the judiciary to um, older men and women like myself. Um, so that will continue on for another four years. I'm unopposed. And uh, that um, is a wonderful opportunity for me to stay in touch with sport. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, John Coates, thanks very much for, for joining us today. Um, have a good time with IOC President Thomas Bach. I, I, I hope you're going to treat him to a, a nice Barbie or tinnies. <laughs> yeah, we got a bit of that, and um, we'll get him out on the harbour, and um, we'll look after him very well. So, Ed, thank you very much for the opportunity to have this chat. Our guest today has been John Coates, President of the Australian Olympic Committee, IOC member, and 2020 Coordination Commission Chair. He's one of the people we've gotten to know pretty well across 25 years of Olympic coverage by Around the Rings. And he will be busy in the next week playing host to the IOC president, as well as attending the Sport Accord Convention in Queensland. Thanks very much for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. Your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.